0: Good morning. Welcome to Cross Point Fellowship. I'd like to pray first for a friend, uh, Lance you and Cross Point Fellowship and um, so let's pray for Lance. and then I've got a couple of housekeeping issues I'd like to talk about regarding my own heart. and then we'll give you a map of the morning. And then we'll get started. Okay, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come together in corporate worship. I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to come. I ask, Father, that you would open our hearts this morning. I pray, Father, ministries. I thank you, Father, for this partnership as we work together and the gospel goes forth. I thank you, Father, for his friendship. And Father, I lift up his family this morning as his mother-in-law is ill. He's being a husband, a daddy, and a pastor. I pray, Father, that you would continue to watch over their family. I pray for Lance and Tammy's marriage. I ask you, Father, to bless their children. And I thank you, Father, for the staff and the friends that I go. I pray, Father, that you would continue to bless this ministry in 2014. And thank you, Father, for the partnership that we enjoy with them through the gospel. Bless our time together this morning, Father, in the word. And I pray that you would again open our hearts, Father, for what you have for us this morning. These things, Father, I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's two elephants in the room, and the first one is I've never preached a sermon before, but on Thursday afternoon, I realized that I kind of had a cold, and so I was getting a little anxious about what was going to happen this morning, and so I just typed a quick email and sent send and James 5 the deal and had four or five guys pray about it, and so I've kind of come up the hill just a little bit. For, For those of you that don't know me that well, I have asthma, and so any type of Cold weather changes or things of that nature kind of uh, can put us uh, into a difficult spot on our breathing. The other thing that I wanted to share with you this morning about the sermon is, sitting right over here, is some baggage in my own life. This sermon is really very personal, in that it is, it's really based on a context of a period of time of about five or six years in my own walk. And I'm very grateful for the men in this fellowship that came looking for me in a really difficult time. The morning map this morning, we're basically gonna be in Luke chapter 15. So if you, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 15. If you're new to Point Fellowship, We don't have pews, we have chairs. You can look right under the chair in front of you or beside you, and there may be a Bible, and so you can grab that. And if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take that one. But we'll be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And then we'll focus, our focal passage is 11 through 32. And we're going to mention later, if you want to just write this down, you don't have to turn to it because I just want you to hear it later in the sermon. But we'll go to Hosea 6:6, 6, 6, or you can just listen. Matthew 9 through thir- or Matthew 9, verse 13, and then Luke chapter 5, verse 32, and then 1 John 4:9. Let me kind of give you an idea of where we're going over the next couple of weeks. This week, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Next week, we'll be in in, uh, Mark chapter 15. And one of the things that happens to all of us in life is sometimes we hear someone say something, and, and we don't always catch what they say. And so, sometimes we miss something. And I think it's important in Luke chapter 15 that if we don't understand what Jesus is talking about, we could potentially miss the gospel so this week, we're gonna spend some time in Luke chapter 15, and we're gonna talk about how we can miss the gospel. It's really gonna be a two-week study of who is in and who is out. So in Luke chapter 15, basically you have three parables, but primarily we're gonna spend the morning on the parable of the prodigal son. And in traditional Church backgrounds, at least the ones that I have and many of that you have, we've always heard this as the parable of the prodigal son, but really you've got two sons. And it's going to be very important for us as we consider this parable that we compare and we contrast the two sons, the younger son, the prodigal son, and then the elder brother, the older son. It'll be important that as we compare and contrast these two sons that we look at our own hearts and we look at ourselves. And what's happening in this parable is that Jesus is setting up a radical message on how God relates to us, how we have a relationship with him. And in this parable, Jesus expresses vividly the foolishness of our sin and the faithfulness of God. And where we'll land this morning is we will take an extended look at the elder brother and how this parable and this father in this parable pleas for change in the heart of this elder son. Jesus in this parable is really redefining three things. He's redefining God, and that's God as our father. He's redefining sin and sin as our sin-born condition and salvation, salvation being Christ our only hope. So if you'll read with me, follow along in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, then we'll skip down and move to verses 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And in verse 11 through 32, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything in a severe famine arose in that country, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead. And is now alive he was lost and is found really this parable is broken up into two sections it's broken up into part one and part two and part one being the younger son and part two being the older son or the elder son so look back with me in verse 12 and what's happening here is this younger brother the story begins with a demand on the father And the younger of them said to his father, verse 12, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between him. Now, what you have to understand in this, in ancient culture, if you heard this from a young man, this would be completely out of order. You see, in ancient culture, if you had two sons, the older son would be given two-thirds. The younger son would be given one-third. And you could, you could look at that and see that in Deuteronomy 21 17. Is that's the way Moses and, and God's law was set up for this culture in this time. In other words, the older brother in this particular case was going to get a double portion. Now, the heartbreak in this particular situation about what happened with the young man was that he came to his father and asked for his inheritance before he died. This was supposed to happen after the father died. Essentially, the younger son was wishing that his father was dead. He could only see himself. He had rejected his own father. The younger son is saying, I want your money, your land, your possessions, but I don't need you, dad. You, Father, are simply a means to an end, and I want my stuff. The second part of this verse, in verse 12, it would have been expected in this culture that this father would have run this boy out of the house. He would have been driven from the very presence of the family. And to capture what this really means about what this young man was asking was to say, do you remember, some of you may have been here or maybe you heard it online in our, in our Ruth study. When you're trying to understand the concept of this culture and what this father was being asked to do, we, we can use the analogy of the musical Oklahoma. Derek wants me to sing this, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no talking oh, we know we belong to the land and the land we belong to is grand. This father's wealth was his land. It was everything that he was. He had to sell off a third of his land to give his son his inheritance. He had to restructure, if you will, his entire life, his balance sheet to accommodate this wayward son. Culturally and literally, this father was stripping his balance sheet, and emotionally, he was ripping his heart out. To lose your land in this setting in this time was to lose your status. It would be like losing your business. It would be like losing your job. This father is tearing his life apart for a son that, in all actual, in all actuality, wished he were dead this father is enduring a dishonor and a rejection by his own flesh and blood typically in our lives when rejection happens to us we get angry and we pout and occasionally we seek to get even we seek to minimize our exposure and our and our pain and our hurt we seek to control circumstances of engagement by avoiding a setting we cannot control Yet this father maintains his love for his son despite being rejected. We often want the things of God, but we really don't want God or his plan. We just want our stuff. Look in verses 13 through 19. So the young man goes off foolishly and squanders everything he has and while he's literally down in the mud, while he's in the hog pen, he realizes his sin and he comes up with a plan. And in verse 18, it says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What's happening here is this young man is grasping the concept of sin how sin degrades and how sin mocks us. Sin satisfies at first, but rarely do we ever look at the price tag. Rarely do we count the cost. Sin always costs something. A marriage, self-respect, happiness, maybe more. Here the young man is coming back to his father with a plan of restitution, but the father is moving in restoration. Now, now what the young man's saying is he said, Father, I know I can't be one of your sons or maybe I can't be one of your servants, but I'd like to be an apprentice. I'd like to work for you. I'd like to pay you back. So So the young man has his plan in his hand and the father sees him coming from far down the road, and the father begins to run. In one reading I was doing, Middle Eastern patriarchs didn't run, but this father runs. The father runs out of love and compassion to meet his son. Just imagine all the while the young man is pulling out his leather pouch, and he's got his big chief tablet out, and he's drawing out the compensation plan that he wants to give to his father. He's saying, Father, I want to pay you back. And as the father runs to meet his son, he embraces his son and he kisses his son. He initiates the process of restoration. The father that had been rejected, the father that had been dishonored, runs and meets his son And initiates the process. In an instant, the father calls for the best robe, a ring, shoes, tells his servants to kill the fatted calf. He won't even consider the son's restitution plan. He reinstates him immediately. Culturally, this father is saying, Cover my son. The literal translation is, Cover my child. Take my best robe, which would have been the father's robe. And cover my son. And no, son, you're not paying me back. I'm bringing you back. Do you see how this father, excuse me, do you see how this father initiates the process? Do you see how this rejected, dishonored, heartbroken father loves his son, and wants to bring him back into the family. Do you see how the wayward son accepts the father's love? Something I think in my own life that's been kind of a wake-up call in this particular passage is do you see how the returning and re, or, or do you see how returning and repentant backsliders are always welcomed by our heavenly father? So the brother, the older brother, comes in from the field. He's a bit dusty. So when the elder brother hears from the servants that his younger brother has been reinstated, and he hears the commotion going on in the house, he is furious. He is beside himself. He's concerned about the cost. He's cons- he consults his list, his balance sheet. He's angry about the calf. He's angry about his father's grace towards this wayward brother. In his actions, he disgraces his own father. He refuses to go into probably one of the largest public feasts his father has ever put on. He remains outside the door, and by doing so, he casts a no confidence vote in his father's actions. He crosses his arms and he turns away and this forces the hand of the father to come out and to speak to his older son. Look at verse 28. But he was angry and he refused to go in. Now stop right there. Go back and look at verses one and two. This is important to see this right here. In verses one and two, it says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This brother is standing at the door of the feast of his father, and he's grumbling. His father came and entreated him, but he answered his father, "'Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. "'You have never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property,' With prostitutes, with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Here we begin to see the circumstances more clearly where Webster's Dictionary defines prodigal not as wayward but as a reckless spendthrift. Timothy Keller describes in his book, Prodigal God, what it means to spend until nothing is left. A self-emptying love demonstrated by a prodigal God spending with an all-in for the sake of sinners. The term prodigal is certainly appropriate in describing the younger son as well as the father. The father's welcome of the younger son is with reckless grace, because he refused to reckon or count his sin against him. This response offended the elder brother. The elder son wanted his goat And yet his younger, wayward brother had been provided the fatted calf. It was all about the goat. The elder brother was envious, just like we all are sometimes. We compare and we struggle with an envious heart towards others. The circumstances are further defined by the elder brother's address to his father. He uses the term look instead of addressing him as father spiritually and culturally he had exposed his heart and his arrogance to his father it's here in this response of the elder son that we must consider our response to the father capital f lowercase f in the circumstances in our own life it would be as if one of your children said to you in a point of conflict looky here dad looky here mom do you see how you've handled this it's an affront to the provision by the Creator, by the created. Often we bring a faultless, self-justifying case with our cause in mind, forgetting who our Father is. Our flesh wants us to be self-sufficient and right. Our God wants us to be dependent and humble on Him. And looking at this story, I think we need to ask ourselves what characteristics of the bitter older brother? do we possess what circumstances of bitterness towards others do we need to reconcile in our marriage in our friendships in our community in the context of this story the father represents the heavenly father the apostle paul in former pharisee states in second corinthians 5 19 god was in christ reconciling the world to to himself, not reckoning them to their trespasses. Jesus here is redefining what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Jesus is demonstrating a whole new design of the gospel and that Jesus is the great expenditure, no reserves, all in, a radical grace, our only hope, a life-altering experience the the very purpose of Christ is found in this story as the father demonstrates a great expenditure and a radical grace to both sons so the situation forces the father to come out and speak to his son he pleads with him yet he refuses the elder son is furious Pride and conceit harbored for years begin to rise to the service, dishonoring the father and his household in the midst of a great celebration of reconciliation. In this case, as in always, mercy trumps sacrifice. Larry Osborne, in his book, The Accidental Pharisee, states: the passionate and the zealous easily fall into the harsh trap of legalism. Not so with Jesus in that Jesus has wells of mercy for the doubters, the deniers, the ladder climbers and anyone else that's willing to receive it. We all seek self-justification and all by sin-born condition seek to control God. Yet we are the sick, the sinners, the frail and the needy that he came to save. You don't have to turn here, but... Listen to what Hosea six six says. It says I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Matthew nine thirteen says Jesus speaking says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. And in Luke five thirty two it says, I have not come to call the righteous, excuse me, righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is completely redefining our relationship with God, and He's setting the stage for our restoration and our redemption if we will only truly repent of our self sufficiency. The elder brother thought he was in, and the younger brother was out. Jesus says they're both out. The humble are in, and the proud are out. And Jesus is still working through this parable to, to redefine God, sin, and salvation. The elder brother had worked himself to death and had earned everything, yet he was lost in his goodness. However, the younger brother, he's done nothing to deserve this grace. He was lost in his badness. At my house, I'm Mr. Bad Husband sometimes. He truly earned rebuke, expulsion, and discipline Yet he had been lavished with wealth. The elder brother had never had never disobeyed his father, and in his view and in his eyes, he had rights. Why do you suppose the father did not consult the elder brother? After all, the elder brother, or excuse me, the elder son wanted and expected control of the estate. This elder brother, this Pharisee, was moving out of, a, out of pride and a need for control. And if you don't remember who the Pharisees were, remember it was the Pharisees that Jesus referred to as a, as a religious sect who insisted on ritual observance of the law, self-righteous, self-righteous lovers of display that Jesus referred to as whitewashed tombs. So was the elder brother lost? Honestly, Jesus doesn't tell us The real audience in this story is the Pharisee and all of us. In short, Jesus is redefining everything we thought we knew about connecting to God as he redefines sin and what it means to be lost and what it means to be saved. Martin Luther said, the default mode of the human heart is religion. And this is where we can miss the gospel. You may have accepted Christ as your personal Savior at eight, but how does your heart look now? Are you relying on your role or what you've accomplished or maybe you're walking in guilt or comparison in what you haven't accomplished? Both paths are a form of self-reliance where you make yourself your own functional Savior. We very easily look for other things to save us. We count on the gospel where it's convenient and we discount it where it's inconvenient. Grace is not easy to walk in because it requires us to confront those things that serve us and don't serve Christ. In reality, we have two sons that miss the gospel. The younger as a pagan, the older as a Pharisee, and in looking at the younger brother, anyone would have recognized his sin. After all, it's traditional. It's pretty recognizable. The young man humiliates his family, and he lives a life of self-centered, self-indulgent sin. Any sober-minded Christian would have dismissed him long ago. In relation to the younger brother, the elder brother had been perfectly obedient to his father. He had been completely under control, quietly self-disciplined, and privately thinking he was saving himself. As lost as the older brother was, he could not escape his father's love. The truth is both of these sons, both of these young men are alienated from the father. After all, it's the father that's holding all the cards. The father is holding the royal flush and we're just holding a high card of seven. We're holding just a bag of feathers. The father does this at the expense of his own humiliation because when the elder son failed to reconcile or move in reconciliation and join the celebration, he brought shame on his his entire family. This father is enduring a self-emptying love in order to reconcile like our heavenly father empties himself through Christ for us. Remember, it was just earlier in the day that the father had paid the price of personal sacrifice to reconcile with the prodigal son himself. Do you see how the father, like our heavenly father, initiates the process to find his own? Christ is the manifestation of God's love for us. He is the incarnation of our father's initiative to find us. So the question is which son are you? I know who I am. I'm the older brother. Figuratively and literally. I blame OCD most of the time, but the truth is I just want the situation to go my way. I want to be in control and I center on myself. I just want to feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. In the context of this parable, the prodigal son is saved, but the older son, the man that never disobeyed, is still lost. And Jesus spins the law and moral conformity around and uses the law to show us who we really are. It's a complete reversal of anything that we have ever been taught. You see, it's not the sin that creates the barrier between the elder son and the father. It's the pride and the conceit he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his righteousness that is keeping him from sharing in the feast of the father. And the very service of the elder brother was a hindrance to his worship and to his salvation. A heart matter that blinds the eyes of a soul. The elder son wanted the father's wealth and goods rather than the father himself. And the question is, who am I? Am I the promiscuous, repentant younger brother or am I the self-righteous, self-serving elder brother? Who are you? the pagan or the Pharisee, or maybe you have been both. I spent years thinking I'm going to be a good boy in Jesus so that I can use the cross to save myself. I can use the cross and have my life my way, yet it's not my life at all. I was walking in a Simon Says Gospel so I could win the game on my own merit just like the elder brother. Take a seat, Father. I got this. I've never disobeyed you, and in my own success, I failed to cast myself at his feet, seeking to cover my own sin silently, privately, and covertly, thinking all the while I can just save myself. Here, look at my list. Look at what I'm doing for Jesus. The younger brother wanted control just like the elder brother. He too wanted the father's goods rather than the father himself. A reflection of the heart of two brothers was much the same as the same as ours in a state of rebellion, seeking the father for their own self-centered ends rather than enjoying and serving the father for their own sake. It's shocking, but a careful obedience to God's law may serve as a conduit for rebelling against God. It can lead to pretending versus repenting. You can avoid Jesus as Savior by keeping all the moral laws. If so, you have rights. God owes you answered prayers and a good life. Think about how angry the the elder brother was. Things weren't going his way. He just... Was upset about a goat. In reality, you don't need a savior who pardons by costly grace. In reality, you are your own savior. It's clearly an attitude and a lifestyle. It is a self seeking, self righteous point of leverage over God in order to control a sovereign God. The elder brother seeks control, yearning for the life that he really wanted outside the father's influence. Listen, if you seek to control God through your obedience, then in reality, all of your morality is just a way to use God to give you the things you want. It's not a laughing matter. It's, it, it's, it's real. It hurts. It's me, and it's pointedly, it's all of us. It's the condition of our hearts outside of Christ. It equals the soul plus nothing. No Jesus, no Savior, no salvation, just an unbearable emptiness that longs for fullness. In reality, we are a mess, broken, searching and empty, playing the called and holy ones, but in actuality we're just spent dry bones of our self-idolized, self-absorbed, personal and false gospel. Our view, just like the younger brother or the older brother, either serves ourself or it serves the kingdom. Our view of the Father defines our response to the gospel and exposes our heart. So now what? Who are are you in the story? Whether you see yourself as the elder brother or the younger brother, thankfully in Christ we have hope. Why is it so important that Jesus exposes the lostness and the destructiveness, or excuse me, the destructive sin Of the elder brother. Jesus aimed this message like a rifle shot to the heart of the Pharisee and all of us to show us who we really are. As we've heard and understand, the younger brother knew he was alienated and separated from the father, but the elder brother, he did not. The elder brother saw nothing wrong with his condition. Do you see what is wrong with the the condition of the elder brother? It's fatal. Do you see what's wrong with your condition? Even though he had never left the family farm, he had abandoned the heart of his father and thus he was lost in his own home. Both moral conformity and self-discovery lead to a separation from the father. Do you see how each son uses the Father to get what they want, the power, the status, the desire for control. So we still have a crisis. Jesus has deliberately left someone out of the story. The Father states in Luke 15, verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. So what do we need to remedy our particular lostness? How does the heart change from one of fear and anger to joy and gratitude? The first thing that we need is our Father's initiating love. We all need that kiss, that embrace that he gives to his children. Mercy disarms all sin. Excuse me, mercy disarms all sinful conditions. Notice how the father expresses love and mercy to both sons. There's not a hint of attitude or self-righteousness in the father. He's not pharisaical about Pharisees. He runs and kisses the younger son. The father's lavish expression of affection sets the table for our repentance. Jesus has set the table for our repentance. Also notice that the father does not harshly condemn the elder brother. Jesus not only loves the hard-living, wild-spirited, unruly people, but the list-loving, hard-and-religious, regulating browbeaters. Remember, we'll never find God. Excuse me, we'll never find God unless He first seeks us. But He can do so in many different ways. First John four nine says, "In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him." Second, we need to learn to repent. From our goodness, We also have to repent from, some, from something other than our list, our list of sins. It's just not about our list. It's about our motivations. When the younger brother comes back, he has a long list of sins in which to repent from. And we think in order to get right with God, we get our list out and we pray through it. And certainly repentance is no less, but it's much more. What list of wrongs did the elder brother have? The elder brother is lost outside the father's love, yet his, his list is pretty clean. After all, he never disobeyed his father. So how does a person who is lost, who has no rap sheet, truly get saved? Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, it's not about our rap sheet. It's, it's, it's not about our list. Pharisees often feel terrible when they sin and when they repent as they look at their list, but that type of repentance doesn't really get to the real problem. The real problem for the Pharisee is the pride in all of the good deeds rather than the remorse, and impossible, impossible repentance in the bad deeds. God's goal for us is to repent of everything even the good things let me turn this corner real slowly here what i mean by that is what is your motivation in doing the good things in other words if you're substituting yourself as a functional savior to get right with god you're missing the point you're you're missing the gospel it's okay to go on that mission trip. It's okay to serve in some capacity in the church. But why are you doing it? If it's to put yourself out there as a functional savior, a, a notch in your belt, then you're missing the point. The elder brother used his self-righteousness moral record to put others in debt to control him, or excuse me, to control them and, and get what he wanted The elder brother's problems are found in his insecurity that comes from basing his self-image on the achievements and service to others he has provided. It's not worship, it's self-idolatry. To truly become Christians, we must repent of everything we've ever done right. Small group shepherds, I hope you talk about that in small group. To truly become a Christian, we must repent of everything we've ever done right. Third, we need to understand the cost to bring us in, to bring us into the family of God. What was the Father's cost to bring us home? What is our Heavenly Father's cost to bring us home? It was Jesus, His only Son. As noted in, earlier in Luke 15, Luke 15 has three parables. The first parable deals with a lost sheep, where the shepherd goes out and searches until he has found the lost sheep. And the second parable deals with a lost coin. The woman that loses the coin searches the house and finds it. And in both cases, the celebration and rejoicing ensues over the recovered lost sheep and the lost coin. I love what Derek said as we were talking through this at one point, he said, often our emphasis in these parables has been, has been on the found. And while that is important, these parables are really about the finder. They're about the father. The story is similar regarding the lost son. However, there's one key difference in the third parable in Luke chapter 15. No one goes out and searches for the prodigal son. No one goes out and searches for the lost son. This is what the elder brother should have done. This is what the Pharisee should have done. In recounting the story of Cain and Abel, God tells the hard-hearted and resentful older brother, you are your brother's keeper. Jesus landed here knowing the generational story. The elder brother knowing that all that is mine is yours should have gone out and looked for his younger brother. At his own expense. He failed in his sacred duty of working to reconcile his family. He misses the point of the gospel from the very beginning. Keep in mind, the father had already divided all that he had. The younger brother had squandered his, and now all that remained legitimately belonged to the elder brother. Make no mistake, the reinstatement of the younger brother was not free and unconditional. Somebody had to pay. Guess who? It was Jesus, our true elder brother. After all, he owns everything. Forgiveness is not free and unconditional. Forgiveness calls someone something all the time. Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. Forgiveness always comes at the cost of the one granting the forgiveness. Truly, Jesus has shown us the gift of a radical, steadfast, redemptive love. He is our elder brother who came looking for us. Whether we find ourselves sitting in the sin as the elder brother or the younger brother, Jesus pays completely, totally, and infinitely to bring us in. Our heavenly father truly brings us in. Our supper this morning is found in Psalm 34. I've got just a couple of comments on, on that and we'll read Psalm thirty-four verse eight. And then while the elements are being passed out, the worship team's gonna come and lead us. And then I'll pray. Um or actually I'm gonna pray here and before the praise team comes up. Psalm 34, 8, just a couple of comments. Our salvation provided in Christ is meant to be the feast. It's the feast of the Father. A joyous celebration where all of our senses are satisfied and our hearts are made whole. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. While this is a reminder and a symbol of what is to come, we can take refuge in Christ, knowing that our salvation in him is secure. It's only a foretaste of what is to come. Let me pray. Father, whether we find ourselves sitting in the sin of a Pharisee or the sin of a pagan, I pray, Father, that we would truly understand in our hearts and our actions, who you are and what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this story. I thank you, Father, for the relief and the provision of the cross. I thank you, Father, that you have loved us more than we understand and more than we can comprehend. Pray, Father, that you would bless the rest of this time of worship. In Christ's name I pray.
1: Amen. We're glad y'all were here this morning. Generally, at the end of the service, we will almost always encourage y'all to be a part of small groups if you're not. And this morning serves as a really good example as to why a number of questions were asked in the sermon this morning that you can't actually answer on your own. You don't have the wisdom to answer them on your own. Questions like Am I the older brother, the older son? Am I the younger son? What is my view of the father? What's the record of good things that I need to repent from because of my pride? the message we heard last week from Brad was that there's wisdom in in other people and God gives us each other in that. Scripture says that the things we see, we see in a mirror dimly lit. And one guy explains that as saying our view of ourselves is like a carnival mirror. And we need everyone else to hold up the word so that we can see that. So yet another encouragement to be a part of small groups so you can walk with other people to be able to answer a bunch of the questions. Uh, that were posed in the sermon this morning. So in closing, while the small group shepherds stand up, I want to make it real easy for y'all this morning. All the small group shepherds stand up. Men, before y'all get out of here quickly, make yourselves available to answer any questions anyone has about small groups. These guys standing up, they can answer your small group questions. Um, If you're in a small group, go ahead and stand up. They can answer your questions too. Everyone stand up. Everybody. And we will close in prayer. Y'all go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer prayer. We're glad y'all were here this morning. Lord, we love you very much. Uh, We pray that we would be able to uh, be uh, hearers of the word and doers of the word. So your word tells us that anything worth listening to is worth thinking about. So my prayer is that uh, this body of people would, would leave here and go and think about what we've heard. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your word tells us that as we think over those things, the spirit gives us understanding. And so I pray that uh, there are people uh, here seeking to persevere in the word together as members of one another in Christ. Uh, Lord, I am thankful that you are a heavenly father who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, as I listened to the story this morning, uh, the parable, I just thought how frustrated I would be as a father if those were my two sons. And it was a great reminder of how, how patient you are with us, how... Uh, enduring and long-suffering you are, and we are thankful for that. Lord, we are very, very blessed in Christ, and I pray that we would not take that for granted. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.